Everybody, it's the Ron and Don Show. All right, you guys, here we go. Episode 241. Yeah, welcome to episode 241 now of the Ron and Don Show. What is up, Ron and Don? Yeah, Nation? don't forget, if you want to reach out to us and do some touching, how can they do that? Yeah, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. We have a uh, buyer's playbook, a seller's playbook. In fact, we did a sit-down this morning, and uh, the woman on the Zoom had the playbook printed out. She had written down some questions, and we got to go through and answer those. It's a really good primer, written by us, believe it or not. Yeah. We actually had to hire six different people to correct all the spelling errors, but we did it. And uh, really great information, and it just gets your mind right uh, as you're going into this process. And so uh, you can book an appointment online or just email me, ron at windermere.com. Yeah, and they have a property they, they want to list here in Seattle. And so on Monday, I'm going to go. We're going to see the property, walk it together. They'll hand me the keys. I'll fix what needs to be fixed. Next thing you know, a couple weeks from now, boom, sell another home in Seattle. So uh, a lot of people like to be involved in, in honoring the property and fixing up the property. If you don't like that, just hand me the keys and I'll fix it up and take care of it. And we're only going to spend money that we're going to get back two times, three times. All right. So that is the goal. You don't want to spend money if you're not going to get that money back. Got to pay yourself when you're selling that real estate during a historic time. Uh, Speaking of real estate, we're going to talk about Sandra Bullock here in a moment and why she owns 19 homes. It's a very specific home that uh, she owns. Also, I want to tell you about... uh, There's a story out, and I talked about this in episode 240, that there's a lot of pets that are being stolen during COVID, uh, and our pet got stolen. It was actually before COVID, and uh, we're going to talk about that. Before we get to that, though, let's kind of get to this, because this is a pretty interesting story. In fact, I know that a lot of times when we travel, that do you always feel, when you travel, do you travel as an obnoxious American or... Do you try to not be American? Or? Well, I think I'm always obnoxious, and I happen to be American. What do you? What do you? What? 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 What's I'm not, of- I'm a, I'm a, you've seen me travel. I'm a pretty good traveler. Like I try to be conscientious. Uh, I usually learn a couple phrases in the language so I can at least ask if they speak English in the, the native language. Uh, like I, I, I do all those things that you're supposed to do. Yeah, I found out we went to Paris and I went up to a security officer at at we were at a train station and I asked him in English where the bathroom was. He got pissed and just walked away from me. Right. And then and then I think you told me you got to try. You at least have to try. So then I got on my phone and I learned how to ask for the bathroom and I went back. And people really appreciate yeah. when you when you when you, when you as they should when you, when you try. So so anyway, there's a new new article out on BuzzFeed. It's the 21 little things that Americans do. So this is kind of flip-flop. 21 little things that Americans do that non-Americans actually love huh so i don't know if you've read this i have not this is interesting this, this is people around the world noticing us either when they come to america or they see us travel and I, i'm not going to go through all 21 but i'm going to just kind of read through, okay through these so five or six. other countries love it when we do this yes okay or Perfect. something about our culture uh number one they love our hash browns they think the hash browns in the diners here are unbelievable, and they love the grated hash browns overall. They say 
when you travel around the world and you try to meet Amer- eat American hash browns somewhere else, they're not as good as the hash browns that you get in the middle of the night, like at a Stucky's Diner. How about that? that I've never heard that, but okay, I'll buy it. That sounds fine. Yeah. Also, they 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 love to hear Americans say yeehaw. And when Americans <laughs> say yeehaw, and it doesn't matter if they're at a football game, a sporting event, they're overseas, they're in the airport. When 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 they just hear Americans say yeehaw. And then the way that other Americans, they don't even know, respond to yeehaw, they think it's extraordinarily phenomenal. That so. is very funny. I've always wanted, when I go over there, it's it's so weird when people ask you about your accent, because to yourself, you don't have an accent. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, this is the voice that you've had your whole life. Yeah. Uh, and someone's like, hey, you're, you're an American. It's like, yeah, I am. Three things real quick. They love the fact that we have free refills because most places in the world don't have free refills. They think that that's awesome. They also think our love for, for hugging is extraordinary. In hmm. fact, they say that depends a bit, a bit on the, U, the part of the U.S. where you live during pre-COVID times. Uh, but Americans hug a lot compared to Asians, for instance. And they say the people that they interviewed, it's kind of like, yeah, we could kind of get into the hugging thing. You and I noticed this when we lived in New Orleans, like I would meet a friend's girlfriend and, and then you're supposed to kiss her not once, but twice on both cheeks. Or we have a friend, Charles, who's from Louisiana. And like when I'll introduce him to a girl I'm dating, especially if he's had a few pops, he will kiss her right on the lips. In fact, there was a girl I dating, dated and she's like, we're going back to Charles' house. And I'm like, yeah. She goes, he's not going to kiss me on the lips again. I'm like, <laughs> of course he is. So it's interesting, especially in the South, in Dallas, Louisiana, there's a lot of kissing and there, there's a lot of hugging. That must be killing Dallas and Louisiana right now because it's part of the baked in I think that Texas is just doing it anyway. Yeah. They're just like, we don't care. Uh, they love our sausage gravy. They love our milkshakes and the fact that we're bold and we'll put Oreos in milkshakes. Uh, they love all our, our wacky foods. It sounds like they like what's that? All the wacky foods that Americans get fat on. Well, this is interesting. They say that the, our school systems here suck for the most part, but the extracurricular activities that happen around the school system are the very best. So they love the school dances. They love going to the football game. It blew their mind. They're interviewing someone from the UK that you could actually be in a band at school and play an instrument in a band. That was mind blowing to them. So the schools themselves were not mind blowing. Like in the UK, they say that you would get a better education there. Uh, but the extracurricular activities around it, uh, they absolutely love. So, uh, and finally, they, they said our national parks. The fact yeah. that you go back that and you, you you think of what Teddy Roosevelt did because he started the national park system. You look at the John Muir snowfield uh, that I've been lucky enough to travel up a number of times, and and then and then one time about ten years ago, I go up with the crew in in Summit Mount Rainier. Couldn't have done that on my own. I'm not a mountaineer, but the RMI guys, you basically tie onto them and then they just they just pull you up to the top. So it's like water skiing behind a guide uphill, which is really. Extraordinary. But but you think about that. Teddy Roosevelt went and camped at Mount Rainier in, with John Muir in the John Muir snowfield. And he said, you know what? We have to save this. We have to make sure that 100 years down the road that this is preserved. And so Mount Rainier and the Grand Canyon were the first two national parks uh, and Teddy Roosevelt went all the way to the Grand Canyon on horseback 
with John Muir. He would he even as president, he would sometimes disappear from the White House for like months and just go every day he would get up and he'd go swimming naked in a stream. He would burn 5,000 calories, they said, before lunch. Teddy Roosevelt would do this. Well, Um, and and it's interesting that as Americans, that is our birthright. We grow up assuming that we have access, where if you're in Europe, you can look at a river or a lake or a mountain and and not think, you're like, oh, that might be, I might not get access to that. It's not assumed that you could go walk on that river or go up that mountain, that it, it might be private access only. Yeah. And then, and then finally, just a couple real quick. They they love the fact that we take to the streets and we protest, and especially the protests of injustice uh, here in the U.S. They said the fact that other Americans would take to the streets and stand up, uh, specifically for Black Americans and Asian Americans right now, uh, they saw that as a really beautiful thing. And then finally, they love our friendliness. And our farewell phrases. They say, visiting America with my family, I was 16. Almost everyone who talked to us would end the conversation with, have a good one. It was really nice hearing. In fact, I heard it all the time. So when I went back to the UK, I tell everyone to have a good one now. And they think I'm crazy. That's true. I'm trying to bring a couple of UK phrases to the US and people people aren't catching on. What do you got? I'm well chuffed. Oh. It means I'm I'm very pleased. Oh, I lo- it's a great phrase. I'm well chuffed. Yeah. Did you? Well, you have some clients from the UK. Did you? Use I that? used it with him, and he liked it. He liked it. Oh yeah. Well, to him, it wasn't out of the ordinary because <laughs> he knows he knows the phrase. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're gonna come back before episode two forty one on the other side of this. I don't think we'd have this house if, if it hadn't been for Ron and Don. If you find yourself dreaming about a new home, go from just a dream to the dream team. Schedule your time at ronanddonsitdown.com. This house popped up. As soon as we saw it, Ron and Don were here. <laughs> Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well prepared. There were houses we were interested in. They would go and preview them if we wanted. One time Ron went and then FaceTimed us as he walked through several houses for us so that we wouldn't have to come over and waste the trip. I was surprised how quickly, especially after meeting with Don, how quickly they kind of zeroed into what I was looking for. And I don't think we would have like found this house or been as successful with another realtor or doing it without, I can't imagine doing it without a realtor. I was just um, so impressed with their professionalism, their competence, their responsiveness, their respectfulness of our process. Ron uh, basically did a check for the areas that I said I was interested in buying. He gave us a whole list of uh, properties that were available. He came with us Sunday morning and we looked at probably five different places. It was a very smooth process. I think that they definitely brought their heart and soul. They did a great job. The market was super hot. We were just such beginners that we didn't know that we would be able to compete. We got so lucky. I don't think we could have gotten this house without Ron and Don. Don't forget, when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Thanks for listening, you guys. I realize it's not easy. Charlie the dog and I have to listen to these two jokers every day. All right, you guys, uh, welcome back to episode... 241 now of the of the Ron and Don show. Let's talk about Sandra Bullock and the fact that she likes to buy real estate like we like to buy real estate. And I'm sure you like to buy real estate. It's a good investment, especially here in Seattle. Uh, 
And especially if you bought real estate here 10, 15, 20 years ago, I'll tell you what, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you'll be like, why didn't I buy real estate back in 2021? It was still reasonable and cheap then. <laughs> she just bought three homes. And what she does with it, it here, here, here's the trick about when you buy a home, because you can't live in 19 homes. And, unless you're Oprah. Yeah, unless you're Oprah. There you go. So, so, so how can you put these homes to work for you? Or how can you get these homes to cash flow? Or how can you get these homes to pay for themselves? That's the amazing thing about VRBO, or that's the amazing thing about the Airbnb platform, is it allows people now to buy homes and let's say that you bought a home here in Seattle. In fact, we just helped a couple uh, buy a home. And they said, probably the next five to seven years, we may go back to the UK. We're just talking about that. Or we may go to San Francisco or some other place. And and it used to be, then we'll sell that house, we'll unlock the money, and we'll buy another house somewhere else. Well, now with Airbnb, what you can do is say, we're going to keep that as a vacation home. We're going to rent that thing out. We're going to let it cash flow. We're going to make money doing that. We're going to let someone pay down the mortgage. We're going to get the benefits of appreciation, depreciation, and cash flow. And if we ever want to go back to Seattle for a month or two, then we'll take it off the Airbnb calendar. We'll go stay there for two months. Or if we have friends that want to go stay there, we can take it off the calendar. And so there's a lot of people that are doing that, acquiring homes, and that's called a buy and hold investor. How do you buy something and hold it? That's what Sandra Bullock has done, This the, the superstar actress. She's been buying homes and holding homes. She's up to 19. She likes a very interesting style of home. And can you imagine going and staying in one of her homes? Because you could. Uh, in fact, she just bought one of these in Beverly Hills. She likes a mid-century a mid-century modern home. And Ron, talk a little bit about the mid-century modern home and the people that follow the mid-century. Because I mean, it's, it, a, it's, it's, it's crazy, it's isn't it? It's a cult uh, of people that, and for good reason, there was a design movement that came to be known as mid-century. And it's sort of defined, it's, it came out of like Bauhaus uh, out of Europe and uh, some of those architects, uh, Cabossier and and uh, uh, I'm blanking on the other guy's name. Uh, they came to America after World War II. And so they founded this school where it was like, okay, we we want to simplify the look of a building. We don't want a bunch of ornaments. Like you, you imagine if these people are coming from Europe in early 1900s, Victorian was really big baroque architecture you had all of these flourishes and filigree and and ornate stuff going on on the outside and the inside like if you've gone and seen a victorian house there's 15 colors and there's little ornaments all over the place and like we want to we want to react against that we want something that has very simple lines uh form follows function like we want it to be clean we want it to be bring the outside in we want it to be open and not have a bunch of little rooms inside and so they developed a school of architecture and so it really became defined in america in sort of palm springs in california they did these case study houses and again i'm just riffing on the top of my head but it, it came to be known for clean modern lines uh, lots of windows, floor to ceiling windows, sort of the, a butterfly shape or a cantilevered shape. Um, and then along with what happened with this Bauhaus movement and the case house movement is you had some very important real estate photographers 
that came up in the same era that photographed these houses beautifully. So the thing that they did is, uh, and you mentioned uh, the hills of California earlier, there's very famous houses that overlook Los Angeles, let's say, that have this rectangular pool and these windows. People have probably seen this picture. There's a beautiful woman in a uh, uh, like a party dress sitting on the corner. It looks suspended over the, the skyline of L.A. These pictures became iconic. People began to see these, and if you were sort of swanky, hip, jet-setter, Rat Pack type of follower, Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr., uh, all that, that crew, they were became associated with this style. It was stylish to be in a mid-century home. So then you had furniture builders respond to that. And they're like, oh, well, we're not going to have these big sideboards with China in it, and there's all these swirly wooden ornaments on top. We're going to make a very clean piece of furniture. So you had furniture designers. The arts and crafts movement became more simplified. And so it became this whole lifestyle. And now people now really appreciate those homes and they want to refurbish them and bring them into the modern era. And so even in, in the Pacific Northwest, um, when you see a mid-century home go on the market, people go absolutely gaga over it. And so it's more expensive to build uh, and you get, it's a very specific lifestyle. So you have to be disciplined with your furniture choices, disciplined with how you're going to decorate. And it's not for everyone. Uh, and so in the, in Pacific Northwest, I'm looking out your window right now. There's a beautiful house across the street, but it's the typical Northwest boxy. You want a lot of square feet on a lot. Uh, and that appeals to the most amount of people. I want 3,000 square feet, and I don't really care if it's boxy or what the shape is. I just, I need square footage. I got a family. But if you're a mid-century person, you don't care so much about 3,000 square feet. If it's 1,800 square feet, but it's done the right way, you'll pay a premium for that house. I don't know if I explained that well, but I tried. No, I, th- I think you did. And what's incredible here, like in our neighborhood, we have mid-centuries that come on at one three one four. And they sell for 300 over. We wrote an offer on one 330 over for a client. There were 17 offers on it, 35 inspections. And we came in second place on that. It went for almost $400,000 over list. It's interesting. You so and Sandra I, Bullock buys mid-century homes? Yeah, she buys mid-century. And, and she Airbnbs them. And you could go stay in a, a Sandra Bullock home. I bet she makes her. a lot of money on them. I bet she does. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking real quick of the first mid-century that we sold in West Seattle. And... I bet we we did the open house there a couple of years ago, and how many people was there? Over oh my two, god, two hundred people that went through that. Hundreds house. of people, and people would dress up for the mid century period. Some of the people that would come, and right? people wanted to buy the furniture as well because yeah. it had mid century furniture. So uh, that's really smart. I mean, obviously she has the money to do that. Um, I, I've been wanting to go to Palm Springs for a long time and just go look at these houses because uh, you you can trace them all the way back. There have been some some developments. And they didn't really take off. I wish they would have around America where they said, we're going to make a development where you can only build mid-century. And they tried to do that. And it became very, very difficult because they are more expensive. There's one in the Carrollton neighborhood. If you have a chance, go there during Christmas. uh, And a friend of mine that who's another realtor who loves mid-century, she took us there. So we took our dogs and we went a couple days before Christmas. And it was cold outside, drinking hot chocolate, the whole thing. It's all mid-century, 
and all these homes have been decorated since they were built. And you can see some of the lawn ornaments going all the way back to the 1960s, for instance. Uh, and a lot of these mid-centuries have stayed in the family. And like there, there, there's almost a hundred homes there that are mid-century altogether. Ooh, I'll have to go check that out. And 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 it's really at, at one of the homes you'll see like Frosty the Snowman from 1961, and then you'll see Doctor Seuss from 1966, and then you fast forward all the way to the modern uh, Doctor Seuss of Jim Carrey. So so as as this home has evolved over the years, uh, so have a lot of the Christmas decorations. But they they beautifully blend in the neighborhood, the old with the new. So it's super cool. The, so. the, the only thing that mid-century people can agree on is when someone does a bad modern mid-century yes. style and the, the disdain and the hatred <laughs> that goes out of their yeah. car window towards that house is uniform. Yeah, we'll see you on the other side of this. With over a million plays, the Ron and Don Radio Show is the fastest-growing show in the Pacific Northwest. All right, you guys, episode 241 rolling on. And don't forget, we're licensed brokers at Windermere, as you just heard. If you need us, reach out. Right, Ron? Ron at Windermere.com. And we'll send you a brand new. These are books that we wrote. The Buyer's Playbook, The Seller's Playbook. And uh, we'll help get you on your way on your real estate journey. So we are here to help. Also, our website, ronanddonsitdown.com. Ronanddonsitdown.com. Let's sit down. We do it virtually. And then, boom, look out now because maybe we come see you after that. So we take showers and everything. We wear shirts. I'm not saying they're clean shirts. Uh, Seems like during COVID, a lot of pets have been getting stolen. I'm, and I want to be real careful the way that I share this because we had a family friend uh, when Charlie was very young, was a puppy that took Charlie and wasn't going to give him back. And we had to go to court to get him back. And it was someone that watched my son and watched Charlie. And the the reason that this person, and I had like seven, specifically, I had 74 pages of documentation about how Charlie was ours. And it was a little difficult to explain to my son because I had to prove to court that Charlie was ours and that I paid for Charlie. And at the same time, Charlie came from Santa Claus. So it was just... It, it, Santa Claus and I had worked out a deal is, is, is what I'll say. So when this particular person stood before the judge and I had to go to a courtroom and I had to wait, we had to wait like 30 days to get him back. Cause you just can't go and take your dog back, which is really crazy. And the police can't go and just take your dog back. So, so we stood before the court and what this person told the judge is, well, I just felt like I was going to give Charlie a better life. And it's like, well, was Charlie abused? No. Uh, isn't Charlie and Charlie wears something that says my human is, is G force is my son. And so this is when he was first born. So this was a number of years ago, but I have to tell you the amount of pain that we felt. And I haven't shared this before the amount of pain that we felt in my house as a result of him not being around and then having to gather all this information and go stand in a court and actually prove that the dog is yours uh, and what this person did, which was really interesting, we hadn't had the dog chipped yet because you're not supposed to chip a real young dog initially. You're supposed to wait till they get a little older. Uh, they went and had them chipped. They went and had the dog chipped saying, hey, dog's mine. They gave me the dog, uh, whatever the reason was. And, and then also the, the fact that, well, we, we ultimately I felt like I would give, give, give Charlie a better life. Since then, there's been apologies. There's been forgiveness. Uh, and, and we don't necessarily talk, 
but I felt that the forgiveness was real important. This person apologized to my son. And, and so that was great, but it is very, very painful when somebody takes your family member and I won't forget probably about six months ago, I was, I was running at discovery park and and, and Charlie had a little injury, so I had him in the truck with me. It was probably a day where it was maybe probably around 50 degrees, and I had the windows uh, down just a little bit. And I got back to the truck. I did this. I did this hour loop, and I came. And he has a bed. Charlie's very well. He, he eats better than I do. He, he eats like 26 dollar treats and just. So anyway, I, I get back to the truck and there, there, there's a woman there that's trying to get in my truck. And I think her plan was that she was going to take Charlie. And, and I'm like, what are you doing? She said, well, well, I was going to rescue him uh, because you're not being humane to him. And I said, how am I not being humane? She says, he's in there crying. And I said, you're kidding me. There's a dog inside a truck in the, in, in the, in the, in the, in the human that controls this dog ran away. And then, and then the dog's crying after that's, that's incredible. Yes. He was crying and he, and he was yelping. And so she said that she was getting ready to break the window and that she was going to take my dog. So it'd been five more minutes. Uh, we would have lost Charlie again for a second time, which would be really hard uh, to explain. So, and Charlie is my son's dog, right? Like a therapy dog. And I'm not going to go into all that, but he's, 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 he's very, he's a very, very important family member. So now like I won't go to discovery park and leave him in the truck. Uh, thing is though, he likes being, you see me, he's with me all the time. When, when my son is not around, he's in school or whatever. I don't like leaving him home alone. Like I, well, I, lo- I like being with him. And I, so when, when he's, he was with me today, he's in my truck right now. When we get done recording here, I, we have a place where we have to go hang some signs because we have a, ho- a home that's going up for sale. So he's with me all the time. Our clients like seeing him, but, it, but in the back of my mind, I have to think every day now, where am I going? And am I going to be in a position where someone could break the window and take him? Well, this and article so- says that designer dogs are the ones that are most sought after right now. Specifically, they bring up French bulldogs because I think Lady Gaga just had her French bulldogs stolen uh, while they're on with the dog walker. And the dog walker so- was shot. Right, the dog walker. Shot. Yeah, they were they were casing this particular dog. So there, there's a couple scams that are going on right now. The Lady Gaga situation where uh, they take an expensive dog, like a French bulldog, a, a purebred, and then they hold the dog for ransom. So the person has to pay a fee to get the dog back. And you've seen there were rewards that are thousands, tens of thousands of dollars for these dogs. The other one is that they, they will take a, a designer breed and then just sell it. So they'll look and they'll say, hey, this is a, this is a purebred Frenchie. They'll take it and then go put it on Craigslist or somewhere and ask four, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. Some of these uh, purebred French bulldogs go for $10,000. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the other, th- so that's happening. And then they said the other thing is if you have one of these sought after breeds, um, to look out if you're on a busy street where it can be right by the window because they're seeing more smash and grabs where a French bulldog or, you know, a designer breed is sitting by the window 
just looking outside. Someone sees it. They'll drive around neighborhoods looking for these breeds, and then they just break the window and take the dog. So, I mean, that's crazy. Like, pet ownership has gone way up during COVID, uh, and people want very specific breeds. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see if pet ownership goes down after COVID. And I wonder how many of these dogs are going to end up, end up in pounds somewhere as, as a result of that. So, anyway, he's wrong. I'm Don. Thanks for listening to episode 241. Thanks for giving us great lives. Thanks for supporting us on our real estate journey. And thanks for allowing us to be a part of that. We are the guys that have gone from radio to real estate and still over a million spins now this podcast. And then so many of you have reached out and you've trusted us with one of life's biggest transactions and all your secrets too. Because there's a lot of secrets. There's a reason why you're selling a house. Someone passed away. You're going through a divorce. Someone uh, you love and care about uh, is no longer with us. All that stuff. Uh, thanks for sharing that with us. That 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 means everything. Means everything to us when you when you share your stories. So Thanks for doing that. Need to get in touch with us? Just write Ron, Ron at windermere.com. The website is Ron and Don, sitdown.com. We'll see you next time for episode 242. You listen to the Ron and Don show. Keep your head up and your shoulders back only on the Ron and Don radio network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not doing <laughs> <laughs>